0: I posted in the beginning of the service um, four gifts uh, asking how you respond to uh, to a tough day uh, when, we're feeling, when we're suffering or maybe suffering sounds too strong, just having a hard time. Maybe it's a, a long day in our um, home uh, or maybe it's uh, you know, because of parenting or roommates or um, maybe it's a long day because no one in our home with us and uh we were feeling just the weight or the um the hardship of of loneliness um and all of that um I think we all go to we we respond in a certain way and I know in for myself I respond um different ways whether it's uh I I just you know grip my teeth and I just get through it I just say just gotta get I just gotta get to bedtime so I can sleep and start a new day Um, or if it's longer suffering that I know is going on for days or months or maybe years you just bear down and just get through you just get through it right or maybe I turn and I want to blame it sometimes feels good when suffering to find someone to blame or something to blame other than myself it can't be me it's got to be that person and I spend my energy whether complaining or being angry um, uh, or maybe for some you know you find an outlet on on the interwebs where you get to post all about how angry you are. Um, or I think I can find myself just ignoring it, right? I, the way I, the way uh, I see suffering, hardship, I just say, I just got to find another way. So I just distract myself. I can, I can watch a lot of episodes of something or I can eat something or I can find friends to just hang out with and, and hope that it kind of goes away. Um, And all those things, even I think I can find myself fighting the suffering in a way, trying to trying to beat it away with a bat so that I can find comfort again. All of that for me comes from um, often a place. I just want to escape suffering because I see suffering as something that's uh, wrong and that that I don't need and I don't want and isn't useful in any way that it's just garbage. Um, and I need to get rid of it as fast as I can. And so often I, not only if I'm in suffering, but if I'm not in suffering, but see it coming down the road, I'll do anything I have to, to take a different route, to get around that, to delay it. Um, because suffering, hurting, hardship uh, can become for me uh, something that it, it, I'll, at all costs I want to get away from. And so especially in a time um, like like right now where a month um away from George Floyd's murder and and for a few weeks after that it seemed like all we could think about and see in the news and talking about and because we live right where a lot of that was happening we uh, were feeling that weight and that suffering and that that burden on us and we could could not get away from that we couldn't just ignore it but because time has kind of moved on and there's new things in the news cycle and for some of us, we live in a place where we can escape that and ignore that, um, act like maybe it's not happening or just run towards our comfort. It's something that I feel that I can quickly, I could not dismiss, but I could move from. And it's something that we've been learning, uh, how the importance of continuing to sit in, continuing to lament and learn. And so we hear that, we hear that over and over, and I think my, uh, my view often of suffering as this uh, evil that I have to run from and avoid, and this idea that I also need to sit in that hardship and that suffering and lament with people and with injustice seem to collide and and not work. And today we're going to look in Psalm 126, and it actually says something different. It says that in God's economy of things, suffering actually is really important. And it's something actually that leads us and that out of it grows something really important and beautiful, which changes how you view suffering. It changes how you end your day after a long um, day, after a long week, after a long month. And so I'm excited. I've been really encouraged by this by this psalm uh, because of reading uh, Tim Keller's book on pain and suffering and, and just stepping back and applying the gospel in the gospel, the good news of Jesus rescuing us, giving us life, let that wash over by suffering and it changes things. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Psalm 126 and see uh, what happens when suffering uh, looks different to us and how that will draw us to joy and hope. Uh, and so if you want to crack open your Bibles, if you have a, a paper Bible you want to open or on your phone, or I'll have the words right here on the screen as well. We're going to look at Psalm 126. Um, 26. This is a song of ascension, which is a song that was written. Um, they that people believe was sung as people ascended up the hill to Jerusalem. That they would be singing this song, uh, which uh, also makes it it helps even some of the language you to understand. It's a song people be singing about returning from being exiled away from home back to Jerusalem, to home, to this kind of center of their spiritual. Religious life, and so that's where psalm one twenty six goes we're going to just start um, right in the beginning here. when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy we're going to stop there just in the first part it's it's just these verses it's just these uh, six verses, which is which is a great little psalm that starts with just saying, "Can you imagine people singing this as they walk back in?" The Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion, of, of God's people, of uh, of his of his family, and He's restored them. If you're marching back into your home, feeling away from home, and now back in home, you could be singing this. Even they say it was like those who dreamed. It's almost like we're dreaming. This is so good. Our malls are filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. You can imagine the joy uh, and the thrill, and just the crowds laughing and kids running uh, like like a like a grand a cookout where everyone's just having fun and laughing and telling stories and being reminded of how God has restored them. This is this is this verse is really cool. This doesn't happen often. In fact, in Psalms, this next verse, this next line doesn't happen often. We hear in Psalms. Uh, it's saying the nations, the other people around are cursing God's people. Or We've actually read a few Psalms this summer that said, they said, oh, where is your God? It says, then the nations say, where is your God now? But instead, this one, this act of restoration must be so grand that it says, among the nations, the, the non-believers, the, not people necessarily in God's family yet, uh, that are looking uh, to them, they say, the Lord has done great things for them. And then the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. It just keeps repeating this. There's so much joy because God has restored us. God has brought us back. And uh, even the people around them notice it enough to not just notice, but to say, wow, God has done great things for these people. This is this great, joyful psalm. And so then it turns, the psalm turns to saying, God, you have done this. And God, we are calling you now to continue to do this because there isn't just one act of of restoration. All things are good. We continue to find suffering and hardship. And so in verse four, it says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Let's just first look at this first 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 year four. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Negev is like a wilderness, desert area known for its just uh, dry, you know, uh, vegetationless uh, wilderness. And then it's saying, but then w- when streams do appear, all of a sudden water comes up, and all of a sudden there's life and there's green and things are growing. Can you, that imagery, can you imagine that? So it's like we're Desert, we're empty, we're dried up, and then these streams come in and bring us life. And it continues with the pa- the verses I really want us to think about today. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. We cannot, we can't lose this imagery here that we have. Do, do you see it? It's the idea is that we are planting seeds in the ground and they're growing something and in this the imagery we get are we're planting our tears uh, can you imagine those tears are dripping from our eyes from our suffering weeping hardship it lands in the dirt it settles in the dirt the dirt comes over the seed that is our s- sorrow and that sorrow then grows into what not a sorrow plant where we pluck more sorrow off of it. It grows into songs of joy. In fact, it like repeats itself in more detail in 6. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. It's like we have bags filled with our tears from our sorrow and we're throwing it into the, um, into the ground. We're farmers and what do we farm? We farm joy. But what seed produces that joy? Not joy seeds, but weeping So in Psalm 126, verses five and six, it is giving us an image that our sorrow, our hardship is the seed that actually brings the joy. This is wild, right? This is, it's saying when I'm in sorrow, if I see it as Psalm 126 sees it, that sorrow can be planted and cultivated and can turn to joy rather than just a thing to run from. Rather than just a thing to ignore, a thing to do everything I can to get away from, to to take all of my seeds of sorrow and, and throw them away as fast as I can and then to run to what I think will bring me joy. In fact, it might not bring me joy. What will bring me joy is cultivating that sorrow, that weeping, that seed of sorrow. I I've been really encouraged by this because it gives sorrow a, an opportunity for me to be intentional and to give it hope i i um when we lived in north Dakota um it was the first time I really got to hang out with like farmers you know like uh i I went to college and met some kids who grew up on farms, but this was like farmers in our church that i knew who i loved who i felt like we're family i got to as soon as you mentioned to a farmer i, I don't know what a combine is you're invited to come sit in a combine for a very long time um you, all of a sudden you, you realize how much work goes into it what so I, I had an opportunity to sit with a friend who was a farmer and i said hey i uh i uh i'm trying to grow some stuff you know And i thought i'd get some tips on my backyard garden you know which is one row of plants he's you know has a thousand acres or whatever and I said uh he said oh so what happened I said well I got some seeds and I threw them threw them down there you know like on the ground and then they're just not growing he said well I, okay well what have you been doing well I, I got some seeds that threw them on the ground and then they uh aren't growing I'd like tomatoes I'd like to eat some tomatoes uh he said well what did you I mean what are you doing to you know, cultivate it and you're, did you water it no like god will water it with rain right did well did you like work the soil with, well, i threw them on the soil and they just like dig down in and then they tomatoes pop up no how long ago did you how long have you been waiting you know well like a month he's like well they're gone they're the seeds are dead They they're probably been eaten by birds already well, I didn't know I had to do stuff. I thought I'd just throw seeds on the ground. And then a month later, I come back and I eat tasty cherry tomatoes till I'm sick, right? Or maybe I make a salsa with them. Um, you know, what, what are salsa tomatoes? Can I get some of those? I realized that I, uh, in a moment, uh, didn't know what it took to actually grow tomatoes. And I think today we're seeing in a psalm this opportunity we have to not just throw our sorrow out so that birds will take it or it will burn up or it will fly away. But to actually, what does it look like to cultivate our sorrow? What what does that mean? What does it mean to do those things? Well, that's what I want us to get to. And I got something hopefully practical to help you assess that in your life as we end. And then we're going to sing and be reminded of what cultivates, um, what cultivates uh, our sorrow, our weeping seeds into joy? I think first, uh, it's important to think about what happens when I have sorrow and what I um, often, I think, want to do to cultivate a seed, which often leads to no tomatoes, right? It leads to to nothing. I think when I'm suffering, I can believe things that are not true about God. And so it's important for us to use the gospel to be the thing That works through our seeds. So, I I just want to look at a few more passages here that I think uh, illustrate that importance. So, what it is is us working the gospel into our suffering. Because as we work the gospel into it, we cultivate those seeds and those seeds begin to grow and begin to prosper, and actually, joy comes up. Songs of joy says actually carrying sheaves with, (laughs) imagine armfuls of joy come from tears of suffering. So let's look at a few passages that just the, remind us of the centrality of the gospel in this. Um, we're just going to chug through a few of these here. That It was hard to narrow down which ones. These are so helpful. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Um, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, let me remind you, though, of the gospel. You can't forget this. Which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. You hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. If there's anything else we're using to cultivate our lives, uh, it's in vain. And he says this. This is such a great passage in verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance. Here's the first important thing. This is it. This is the foundation that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That Jesus actually died for us, for our sin, that he was buried and that he took our sin into the grave with him. And the third day, according to scriptures, he appeared to Cephas and then to the other 12. Then after that, he appeared more to 500 of brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them who were still living though, they have fallen asleep when he appeared to James, then to all the disciples. And last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Paul calls himself that abnormally born because Paul was first one who lived by the law and went and actually killed Christians and has been reborn into God's family and is now bringing life to people rather than taking life. And so he has this abnormally born life in, into the faith. But let's not miss this part right in the middle here that's so important. For I received, what I received, I pass on to you first importance. What's first importance? That Christ died and he was in the tomb and that he rose and people saw him. He actually rose from the dead physically rose from the dead, reminding us of this is the core. If we focus and we till and we uh, uh, work our, the land and these seeds with this, joy comes forth. Let's see another passage that reminds us. For whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord for those who, for um for whose sake I have lost all things, you hear this he's saying the most important thing is 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 knowing Jesus uh, everything else is lost compared to that. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and have found him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is found in faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation, and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Do you hear this at the end? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and per- participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. He's he's saying, in other words, like we heard First Corinthians. I want to know Jesus and I even want to know his suffering. I'm not going to run from suffering. I want to know that same suffering because in his suffering came life. In his sorrow, in his, those tears of weeping, what came from that was three days in the tomb and then life for all people, resurrection from the dead. So as a believer in Jesus, as someone who has the gospel of changing them, uh, working in their hearts and their minds. I'm someone who doesn't look at suffering and go, oh, no, nothing good comes from suffering. In fact, I say the greatest thing ever came from suffering, that Jesus suffered and died and then brought life to all people. And then in Romans 5, since, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, here's the part I want you to hear, but we also glory in our sufferings. This is the joy that comes from the gospel. The gospel is good news, not just because someday you get to be with God in heaven. It's good news because right now as I suffer, I can actually boast in it. I can actually celebrate it because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character, and that character produces hope. And what does our hope give us? It gives us joy. And joy does not put us to shame because um, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We see suffering growing into perseverance and our character and our character into hope And that hope brings us great joy, and joy not only for us, but the joy we get to bring to those around us. And lastly, in 2 Corinthians, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses. He makes this list here of all the ways uh, that as servants of God, we can exist. This is is an amazing list, in hardships and distresses, verse 5 there, in beatings, imprisonments, and in riots, and hard work. Sleepless nights and in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, in garden tools in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on. Beaten yet not killed. Here it is. Oh sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. We live in this sweet paradox of the gospel until Jesus returns, that we can be sorrowful, working in the fields uh, of our weepy tears that, would, that that are growing to joy as another field is just being planted down the, down the row. And so as Joy comes knowing Christ and knowing the good news of the gospel in our lives and seeing it play out around us. We also have the opportunity to continue to be sorrowful. And so there's this, at the same time, we get to be sorrowful and rejoicing, uh, which is incredible um, in our work here. And so I want to encourage, what does that look like then? So that's kind of the theological framework sort of of what. We want to look at that's it, kind of the idea of like, this is who God is and what scripture says. I think suffering, is that something you run from? In fact, it's one of the things that makes the gospel so sweet that it's not something we run from. In fact, suffering, I think, is what often leads us to many other gods that are not um, Jesus, right? Suffering is what leads me to look to anything else. How, and how, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. I I first am suffering and I start to believe things about first who God is. Maybe there isn't a God because of this suffering and this hardship. Or at least if there is, God is against me. Or at least I'm not worthy of God's love. He's the kind of God who is way too powerful, way too perfect for me. Or maybe I start feeling that I'm just broken. I'm total. I'm like a car that's been totaled and they decide to just tow me off to a junkyard where I'm going to sit and get rusty and eventually they're going to make me into one of those cubes. I don't know if that is really how that always works, but they're going to make me into a cube, right? I'm just going to be a chunk of broken metal somewhere because I'm broken and I'm gross and I'm unlovable. That's why I'm suffering because I'm so messed up. Or maybe I'm suffering because people around me are so broken and they just hurt me. over and over, and when I try to move towards a person, they hurt me, and so I just keep people at arm's length to try to survive my suffering, or maybe my suffering is because I'm not a person of strong enough faith, or I don't have the approval of God, and so my, my response to suffering is not that God is angry at me, um, but that God just doesn't approve of me, and so I work my tail off to be the best little worker bee for God, hoping that if I just do everything that God says, I will find joy. If I just follow the rules, then maybe God will be happy with me. Or maybe I just feel so alone and I suffer because not just of my loneliness, but because I'm alone. I'm suffering because I'm just not someone people want to be around. And so loneliness just becomes um, something to to solve. And so my loneliness moves me towards moving towards anybody who will talk to me or anything that will distract me from it. There's all these false um, uh, ideas, right? These lies that we believe that are not gospel. And so what happens if... Those aren't the truths. What happens if we believe the gospel is true? So then when I say there is no God, when I'm suffering, the gospel speaks to that. What's first importance that Jesus died and he went in the tomb and he rose? Just that part of the gospel, just that part, speaks to all of these things. Oh, there is a God and he actually loves us enough to come here. Is he against me? He is so for me that he's willing, even though he is perfect and doesn't deserve death willing to come and suffer for me? What if you till that into the ground with your your seed, remembering that God loves you so much and cares for you so much. In fact, he finds joy in coming and making you his child. And then we start believing that we're broken and we're totaled and messed up. And and we say, I'm just a sinner. and, And this is just my destiny is to keep messing things up. But then we look to the gospel and see that Jesus has died, but he is risen. And I have risen with him in the gospel. And so he has made me new and he has made me someone who gets to uh, bring life and joy and love to those around me. That he's actually created before the beginning of the earth. He had a plan for me to do good things and great things. So the gospel speaks to that lie and says, that's not true. And I'm tilling that. I'm fertilizing that seed with that good news. And I look to other people around me and say, well, they're broken. People just hurt me. And the gospel says, yes, people are sinners like you. And how good that God loves them and has a plan for them and has brought them in. And it allows me to, instead of saying, oh, how can I use people around me or not use people around me? Instead, it changes my heart to just want to love people like God loves them. It changes me to say, even if people hurt me, I have the opportunity to love them and show them the love of Christ so that they would know the gospel. And their weepy tears would turn into joy. And what about my laboring for God's approval? The gospel tells us that whatever we do, we will never fully get God's approval, except that Christ came and died and rose and that we are in him and we put him on like a coat and and God sees us and he looks at you and he sees Jesus and he says, I love you so much and, and I approve of you and I find joy in making you my son or my daughter. And so now our work is not in vain. Our work and our labor is no longer to gain God's approval, but it is to do his work. We now are enlisted into the family of God, brought in, adopted, and we get to do the work of the family, not the work to gain our access to the family. Jesus has done that. Now we get to do the work of God. And lastly, I think suffering just causes us to feel very alone, and it like cycles. It We feel alone, and it just makes the suffering worse, and then we turn to things to solve that suffering, and it That makes it even more lonely. But we know that we're not alone. And we know the great truth that God is with us. Always. Through all of scripture, everywhere that we see God say, I need you, Moses, to lead the people to freedom. I'm with you. Joshua, I need you to lead the people. Now that Moses is gone, I'm with you. I need you to follow me repent, turn and worship me, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm gonna come to earth as a baby, I'm with you, you're gonna call me Emmanuel, which means God is with us, I will be the God that comes and moves into your life and is with you, you cannot be alone. In fact, we even hear in First Corinthians 12, Um, about the parts of the body. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In fact, being in the family of God means that you never suffer alone. Do you hear how the gospel changes all those things? It wrecks all of those things. And so what do we get to do? We get to work those in and we don't get to use other types. We don't buy off-brand fertilizer and we don't buy junky tools that don't work, right? There's one thing. This week I was reading a little history of Sojourner Truth, which is, man. just even just go to Wikipedia and check out Sojourner Truth. This amazing woman who was um, born uh, a slave and uh, became this great woman who not only helped Free slaves, but also went around uh, preaching, uh, telling people to follow Jesus, and also helping to abolish slavery, and also uh, fighting for women's rights. Just this amazing woman. She has a a quote that I just I absolutely love because I think it's the the center of this. If I want to if I want to work those weepy seeds right into joy. If I want to look for joy and hope, um, she gives this quote this week I, I just loved. And so I want you to hear, she was asked by a group of, uh, of pastors there around her. They said, hey, what passage, what's, we, what's one of your favorite passages to preach? Or what passage will you even be preaching today? She was going to speak in a church. And she says, when I preach, uh, I have just one text to preach from. And I always preach from this one. You imagine everyone's like, oh, what's it gonna be? It's gotta be in Matthew. No, oh, man, it's gotta be a passage from Isaiah. And she says, My text is when I found Jesus. You hear what she's saying? She's saying, when I stand before people and say, This is what you need to know, I tell them, I found Jesus. That's what we need to know. And that's what's gonna, that's what's gonna turn these seeds into plants of joy. We're going to have to plant these seeds that have been given to us with the tools of the gospels. We need we need gospel watering pails. We need gospel tools and shovels to work the ground. We need gospel combines, whatever that looks like. We need to kill the weeds of injustice and chaos and darkness and sin with gospel roundup or whatever all-natural weed killer we should be using. We need to fertilize the ground with gospel fertilizer, gospel manure, whatever whatever you use. I don't know. We We need to fertilize it with the gospel. Make sure that it's growing. Pull the weeds around it, these lies that choke it out. We need to check on it daily, water it, watch it grow, and one day we get armfuls of joy to harvest. But this is a daily thing. We plant our weeping and suffering in the ground and we work it. We work the gospel into the parts of it. It's not just us finding new things that can make suffering feel better or maybe go away or a new book, a new concept, seven steps to getting rid of suffering. It's the same old gospel. That's the good news. So when the the sun comes out and the crop is ready for harvest, we're enjoying a feast of joy because the gospel has been worked into it. And that takes a long time for some things to grow. Mm -hmm. It's because when we only work the gospel in our lives, when it's good, when our lives are good, we're not working the gospel into our lives. The good news of the gospel is good all the time. And if it's not good all the time, then you need to find a different gospel because it's not the gospel of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So lastly, I just want to share, how, how does this work then? What does this look like? Yeah, yeah, Drew, thanks. I'll work the gospel into my life. Uh, I, so you want me to go literally by tools? Are you about to have an infomercial for like Christian guarding tools uh, and Christian fertilizer? No, I don't even know how to do that. So I want to share three things. These are the three categories that often help me figure out uh, the places and the ways, and maybe even a deficiency in my life of of where the gospel is, because I want us to be people who cultivate our suffering. That and it would turn to joy because people around us are going to see that harvest, and they're going the nations are going to say, "How good is that God? How good is that gospel?" So the first one is uh, there's just three things. The first one is the word of God. So as you practically think about it, how this looks right, Um, the word of God, that could mean uh, scripture, actually just reading our Bibles, hearing who God is, reminding ourselves of the gospel. When I'm sitting and suffering, when I've had a very long day and parenting has been very hard, uh, I need to be reminded that God loves me and cares for me and cares for my family. And so maybe reading the Bible, meditating on it, actually just reading one verse over and over, actually memorizing it so I don't need to have it open in front of me. These words come to my head and in my heart. Just remembering who God is. What about the word of God is you could do it with, with others? I think this is an important part of why we even have small groups. So that you're in the word of God with others and they're helping us remind us of the gospel, helping us cultivate. We're, we're a family farm here. It's not just you out uh, in the field. Sharing the word too. Can, can you in the midst of suffering look outside of yourself and actually still have opportunities to share the word of God? Secondly, a way to assess how God is working and, and how the gospel applies is the spirit of God. The word of God His actual word. But what about the spirit of God? The Holy Spirit is real and alive and with you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one with you. It raises people from the dead. So are we praying? Are we asking in the midst of suffering? Am I saying, God, you're good. I don't know what to do. I need you. Are we being led by the Spirit? Or are we just being led by ourselves? Are we cultivating our time By being comforted by God and his spirit, mourning with God, lamenting with God, experiencing God, even bearing with others as we allow the spirit to work through us. Even in our words that we say, are you letting the spirit lead your words? I think I often let just my grumbly, complaining flesh lead in that and not the spirit of God. In your suffering, what does it look like to be one who suffers well? Well, it's someone who leans into the word of God and the spirit of God. And lastly, uh, the people of God. God gave us a family, gave us each other. And so the the family of God are people who comfort each other because there are days when I'm just holding on to a carousel and it's dragging me around and I need someone to pick me up and to sit me down on the horse To say, it's it's okay, we love you so much and God loves you even more. For people to encourage us in the gospel, to help us remind us of the actual gospel. We start believing other things are what saves us and people to say, no, 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 don't forget. Jesus is so good. We gather to remember, just to remember together. That's what we're about to do. In In a couple minutes, we're gonna take communion and as the people of God, we're gonna remember even just to care for each other, to suffer with each other, to fight for justice together, to fight for peace together. In the midst of your suffering, can you still be an agent for justice and a peace? The gospel does that. As we cultivate this, it grows in us. We can have great joy in us as we move forward, even as we continue to be people who suffer. So I encourage you to think about these categories. This is a a way even to assess weekly. You can sit down and say does the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God look like in my life? Am I missing one of those? Or one of those tend to be the thing that I always go to, right? Do I always just lean into the people of God and I have no real place for the word of God in my life? Um, it's a good place to ask the people of God what that would look like. I encourage you to, to use that. Um, a few last questions here just to um to, to get us continuing thinking and, and uh, cultivating, right? I, I just want you to consider this week. Do you know that God is with you? We're about to sing a song that reminds us of that. I, I want to encourage you in that. Do you uh, Think about how, assess how do you respond to suffering? Maybe this is a good thing to ask a friend. How do I respond when I suffer? And is that response out of you cultivating the gospel into your life? And assess the word spirit and people of God in your own life. And lastly, we cannot forget, we get to be people who suffer well, and people say, how can you do that? The nations around us will say, wow, their God is good, when they know that our suffering is different because of the gospel. Um, we're about to sing together. Um, and so I, I just want to share the lyrics to uh this song we're about to sing. We're gonna sing two songs. Um, If you wanna grab your communion supplies, you can do that now. Um, We're gonna actually take communion and sing at the same time. Um, And then we're gonna sing a song. So the first song we're gonna sing is In Christ Alone, which is just reminds us of the gospel. It is a song that is just singing the words of the gospel. We're gonna sing that together and take communion together. And so um, we're gonna, I'm just gonna start playing that song in a moment. Colin's gonna lead us in that song from his home. And uh, during that song, I encourage you to take the bread, take the piece of bread and be reminded that Christ's body was broken for you and take a cup during that song and be reminded that Christ shed his blood for you. And then the second song we're going to sing, uh, that first one to remind us of the of the gospel being what grows that seed into joy. The second song is a song, your labor is not in vain in this song. Um, speaks to to what we're talking about today, that this hard work of cultivating the gospel into our lives as we are suffering will bring great joy because when we're not suffering, uh, our joy will be even that much greater when the burden is off of us. And so I encourage us uh, to sing these words together uh, and be reminded this is a part of the chorus of this, but your labor is not unknown. How good is that to, to know? I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. God is with us. For I've called you, I've called you by name. Your labor is not in vain. Be reminded as we sing this, uh, it is a, is a prayer that the labor of the gospel is not in vain. Uh, it brings joy in life.